Hello and welcome. It's Matt Weaver with BibleTruthProject.com. Today I'd like to focus on several different things that have been going through my mind the last several weeks, and I thought I would share them with you. Now this has really come about uh, through some conversations I've had and some things I've read on Facebook, comments that people have made, and I thought I would just comment and make some remarks about some things and and just kind of uh, give you what's been on my heart the last few weeks. There's a lot of truth in the Bible that we need to look for, you know, it's an important thing that we as believers never, uh, never get caught up in a singular line of, of thinking and close ourselves off that we can never learn from anyone else. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of different views out there and we have to be careful. Uh, we have to be smart. We have to also trust the Lord to lead us into the correct path. But the Bible does say to try the spirits to see the, if they be of God. And I think it's important that we listen to other people who love God or passionate about God to see whether or not what they have to say is true, untrue, right, wrong. And we can discern for ourselves from that uh, in that regards. However, I think most of us would agree that basic faith in uh, Jesus is what is required for salvation, at least to a degree. Um, and I think I think we'd all agree that in that basic faith that we probably would be welcomed into heaven and be given eternal life because of that faith in Jesus. Now, that is an entry uh, entry point into into to the discussion that I'm going to have today. So, what is what, what does the Lord want from us? What does God want from us? When we start in understanding truth, okay, I look back over my life, I look back, back over the last 12 years, and I think about where I started, uh, well, I would actually be longer than that. It would be almost 20 years that I've been a believer, actually a little bit longer than that even, but 20 plus years that I've been a believer, and I look at where God has started me and where he has brought me to today in my understanding of the word of God. And I say it has changed dramatically. And so what I understood and saw when I was a babe in Christ is not exactly the same as what I see and understand today. Now, what, what is that, what is that walk considered to be? That's the life of faith. Where we are now is never a conclusive point. We, it's a, it's a walk. And as we walk, we learn new things about God. And it's, it's not only uh, that way for me, that's, it's that way for anybody who lives a life of true biblical faith. If you look at the Bible, you look at all the people in the Bible, starting with, uh, starting with back in the days of Abraham. And Abraham is the father of all those who believe. Why is it called that? Because Abraham believed God. Uh, but notice, Noah was before Abraham. So did Noah not believe God? What's the difference there? How, how can this be different? And I think we have to understand that God allowed himself to be uh, seen, if you will, or understood by people as far as they were willing to go. And as far as that he led them and walked them. And we have the entire collection of writings about people who have walked with God has been compiled in a book, and it's called The Bible. Now, when I say the Bible, I'm going to get technical and go down a little bit of some line of thoughts here. hope I'm not going to confuse you here, but there's a lot of discussions as far as the Bible. You have some people who believe that the English translations are fine. You never need to look at any other original scripts or manuscripts and that we should, should just leave it the way it is. You know, King James Version is the seventh translation, seven times purified, blah, 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 blah. It's perfect. Let's not mess with it. Or you have people who believe that you have to look at what the original words mean because you will not understand the full message until you do. And there's perhaps arguments for both, but here's the, here's the important thing that I think we need to remember. That in that discussion, we have to remember that we are, as English speakers, okay, we are limited by what we can understand uh and we are trying to understand something that was written in another language. It's the same as if somebody wrote something in Spanish and it gets translated to English. Now, the general idea is probably the same. The general idea of what has been written is the same, but there's nuances, and this is just the way it is. There's nuances that are missed 
another language I speak is um, a dialect of German. And if I translate from that dialect into English, okay, there's nuances that are lost. Now, I can translate it, but it doesn't have the same meaning and effect that it did in its original language. And this is why it's important for us to study what the original meanings were, because sometimes there's nuances that we're not seeing, uh, especially Hebrew. Hebrew is a very uh, small language, okay, not a ton of words in it. And one word can mean many different things. So a lot of times the translators use some imagination uh, to try to nuance, for us to understand the nuances of what the words mean. But if you listen to people who speak Hebrew, you will hear them talk about all the different ways you can understand something. There's like many sides to a phrase. And I think it's the wisdom of God that he has made that language so where it has manifold, okay, wisdom, many ways to understand something. And I think what has happened is in our Eastern or in the Western world, we have been brought up in a system that uh, is different in its mindset. Okay, there's an Eastern mindset and a Western. There's no question. If you go to the Middle East, they think different. Let's just put it that way. In the Western world, there's kind of some things that are taken for granted, some things we understand. Okay, as far as getting along with each other and let's just have peace and let's not get strong about what we believe and things like that. That is definitely more of a Western mindset. However, in the Western mind, one of the things that happens is you have the right to your own opinion and you stick to your guns, okay? You, you do not try to see somebody else's point of view. You just, this is the way I see it and this is the way it is. I will not listen to you. You are wrong. I am right. That is a mindset, okay, that is, that is not, was not a part of the biblical culture in Jesus' time. Now, you may say, what is that? Why is that a big deal? Because I believe what is missing in today's church more than anything else is context. And when I say context, it's not context of interpreting a Bible. It's not context of the scripture or the verses, even though those, those things are important. But it's constant, context and understanding the whole story of what God is trying to say. And I think it comes back to a key phrase. And the key phrase is uh, hearing the voice of God. And I believe that is true biblical context. So hearing the voice of God. Now, when the children of Israel before, uh, before God on Sinai, they refused to go up and speak with God. He wanted to talk to them. He said, wash yourself, get ready, come to me. I'm going to talk to you. Well, just in that initial blast, the children of Israel were so afraid and so frightened and so scared that they were like, we're not going to do this. No, Moses, we will not do this. You go up, you learn what the conditions are, but you come back and you tell us we'll do it. But we, we're not talking to him. And I think there's an important thing that happened right there that a lot of people miss. See, God wanted to be with them face to face. He wanted to be at in their face. He wanted them to see who he was, but they would not because they were afraid. And I think sometimes um, we could call that the fear of God and that that is true and, and good. But to in order for us to see the depth of what God is wanting to do, we have to go beyond our personal fear. We may have a fear of God or a form of the fear of God as far as we're afraid of him. But I think if I can, I have to maybe say this gently, but, or, you know, with some uh, quotation marks, but, but if we, we have to move beyond ourself to see the face of God, the Bible says that no man can see God and live. So honestly, to see the face of God, we must move on. But it is his move beyond ourselves. We must die. That is the condition. So looking at that whole thing, we can understand that there's, there's we understand because of what uh, God said. He said, hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to do everything that I've commanded you to do this day. He then lays out blessings and cursings and things and conditions. Okay, he gives them rules and he gives them laws. 
And he said, this is it. But above all, there's 10 laws that were given to mankind that today we still hold as being valuable. Uh, and that's the 10 commandments. I believe most people would admit that that's a good moral standing for the world. So that's the law. That's the voice. That was the voice that God said, look, these are things that you cannot do. Now, the other laws, uh, it's conditional. It's relational. It's, it's, it's a thing that God said, okay, you, this is what I need you to do for me to be able to walk with you. You need to do this stuff. And most people, and I dare say in the, in the church world, in the Christian world, have never read Deuteronomy, have never read Leviticus, have never read it and studied it to understand what God was saying. Now, there's tons of details, but a lot of it was written for the priesthood, which, okay, as an average believer, we don't need to be involved with. There was some that was written as far as this is what you do in life. The one, the laws that you keep in life are really not that many, and it's a lot of common sense stuff. It's not difficult, super burdensome type of things, okay? It's just common sense, like if you, uh, a blizzard falls in a pot, you wash the pot. It's not good to eat out of, you know? But what has happened is people have hung on to this law, okay? So this, these are these rules as being the most important thing that a human does. Okay, we have to keep these rules. And not only do we have to keep these rules, but we have to protect ourselves so that we don't even come close to violating it. So instead of just, uh, let's say, for instance, the commandment of you, you shall not mix milk, uh, you should not cook a baby goat in its mother's milk, we better not just, let's just not mix uh, milk and, and meat, because if we do, we may come in violation. Well, they're missing what God was saying. Okay, that's missing. The, that's missing it. Now, hey, if you want to do that, that's fine. The Bible gives space for you to do that. You can keep those laws, extra laws to be extra careful because you do it as unto the Lord. Paul said, don't forbid them. If they want to do it, that's fine. That's up to you. But it does not make you more righteous than me, etc. Now, God gave these rules. Now, we call this in the Christian world, at least from my background, we call that the old covenant. The problem with that idea is that there were many covenants that God made with people throughout history. The first covenant that we read about was uh, the way I understand it is he made somewhat of a covenant with Adam in instructing him what's going to happen with him. And this is what you're going to do. And this is how it's going to be done. It wasn't stated as a covenant, but it was an agreement. Okay, so this is for your sake. The ground is going to be this. This is how it's going to work and you live your life. But the first kind of reference to a covenant comes in Noah. And Noah makes a covenant with the Lord, builds an altar after the flood. And God makes a covenant with Noah and says, I will not destroy the earth. I'll put this bow in the sky. This will be a sign to me. Okay, not to Noah, but to, to God to not destroy the world via flood. Later, we hear the covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with him. He split the animals. He walked through. There was all sorts of exchanges going on. You have the breaking of bread and wine with the with Melchizedek, the Melchizedek. Uh, you have the uh, the giving of ten percent. You have the sacrifice of their firstborn. There's a lot of things they could speak about in that, but that's that that was a covenant. Okay, and then you have a covenant that God made with the children of Israel at Sinai, another covenant. And then you have another covenant that God made with David and said, the house of David, he said, your kingdom will last forever and your throne will be forever. So that's another covenant. And now we come into the days of Jeremiah later and Jeremiah says, there's going to be a new covenant. And this new covenant is not going to be like the other covenant that I had made with Israel. This is going to be a new covenant that is going to be made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What is this in this new covenant? I will write the law or I will write the Torah. If you want to call it that, I'll write the Torah in their hearts. It's not just going to be an outward thing. It now will be an inward thing in their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, there's a lot that could be said here. I'm going to be careful what I, what I get to. But what I'm trying to help you understand is that there is more details to it. There's a huge amount of people today in the world who are very anti-Semitic. They do not believe the Jewish people are special in the eyes of God. They do not believe that the covenant still exists for them. It's over. Jesus ended it and it's gone. And my answer to that is I do understand to a degree perhaps 
where they're coming from. But in large part, they are sorely mistaken. And why do I say that? Because if we say, and we say that we live in this new covenant, if we say that we are and have attained uh, this new covenant and God is done with them, if God is done with them, he can also be done with us. So we are in danger, okay, as people, as the church world, we are in danger of being alienated from God as well. We're not any better than them. That's why Paul in Romans 11 says, don't boast against the natural branches because God can cut you off too. If he breaks them off and they're the root, okay, they're the, they're the ones that kept the story all the way from Noah uh, up to the modern day uh, in Jesus' time. They kept the story. They kept it. God was with them. God walked with them. And if God broke them off, like he says he did in Jeremiah, then we're no better. He can do it to us too. So don't boast. Don't boast against the natural branches. Never shove it in their face because that's not, you're missing the point. Now, having said that, you know, does a Jew who who lives by the law uh, obtain righteousness? Well, according to what Paul wrote, According to the understanding, uh, is no. That's that is not the way it works. So we don't keep the law for righteousness. Why? Because we have Jesus or Yeshua. Now that brings up that point. I will just briefly address this issue of Jesus and, and Yeshua. So the word Jesus is obviously a translation of the Latin Jesu, which comes from the Greek Yesu, which comes from the Hebrew Yeshua. So. His name was Yeshua, and Yeshua means something, okay? It means salvation. And if you say Yahshua, it means God's salvation. Jesus doesn't mean anything. It's a translated word. It doesn't have any uh, cultural or uh, meaning in our, in our vocabulary or in our language. It doesn't mean anything. Yeshua means something. His name was Yeshua. His name was not Jesus. They did not come up to him to say Jesus. They said Yeshua. Now, can you pray in the name of Jesus? Can you preach in the name of Jesus? Absolutely. I'm not saying that. That's in any language, okay? So in Russian, it's Jesu and in whatever. It's either Jesu. Everything is based in Latin and Greek almost in today's world. So we're going to have either Yesu or Jesu or some kind of a variation on that. But his original was Yeshua. That was his, that was his name. And I believe that it's important to understand, again, where things come from and what was the original intent, because I believe we miss out hugely if we don't do that. So coming back now to the main thinking is in today's, uh, in today's world, you know, this whole idea of covenant to covenant. So we just talked about covenants. Now we're going to talk about, okay, new covenant. So there's different understandings of the new covenant. If you have to ask the messianics what the new covenant is, everybody will probably have a different answer. But if you listen to what Jesus preached, he did preach the new covenant and he, and he, and he, and he did it. Okay. He signed it in his new, in his blood. So the agreement between God and man has changed. Uh, the agreement in the old, in the Mosaic covenant, let's just call it the Mosaic because it's better to say that than the old because there has been many covenants. But in the Mosaic covenant, Okay, the agreement was, you keep these laws, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will bless you, and I will keep you, and carry you through, and I will do all this for you, but you need to uh, hearken to my voice and do these and do these commandments. Now, in, that, in themselves, you know, many people kept the commandments. It was not a problem. A lot of people kept them. They were uh, diligent in it, and uh, for generations they were. But we can see immediately... Uh, in the book of Judges, going through the Samuel, that the people have had had a tremendous problem, and Moses warned them that they walk away from God. Their hearts are not in it. Okay, so they are keeping it from the outside. They're fulfilling the requirement, but their heart's not in it. And God sees this. And finally, it kind of comes to a head, and I believe it's in Isaiah. It might be in Jeremiah or even Ezekiel. I, I can't. It's one of those books. Where God says, I am done with your sacrifices. I'm done with your new moons. I'm done with that. I am, I'm full of it. If you, It's Jeremiah. If you will just acknowledge your iniquity, that's all I care about. Just admit that you are evil, that your hearts aren't right. That's all he had, was asking of Israel at that point. 
And what was the sin? The sin was spiritual adultery. Now, what was, what was the spiritual adultery that Israel committed that even caused this breakup to begin with? And I think in another segment I spoke about it, and it was that they went after other gods. Now, we have to understand, again, this is the importance of context. So what were these other gods? What were these people worshiping that caused this separation, that God saw this evil in their hearts? Okay, it's easy to point fingers and say, you are sinful. And, oh, they, they just didn't, yeah, they didn't do what God said. So he was done with them. And that's, it's easy to point fingers, but no, what they did, okay. In these other cultures around, there was uh, many other gods, but the most prominent one was Baal. And Baal is somewhat of a generic term. Okay. Baal uh, had many manifestations. Okay. Baal, there was Baal this, Baal that. So if you want to say in today's terms, uh, Baal was, was a universal God of different things. Okay. So you could have Baal, the God of lightning, or you could have Baal, uh, the God of rain, Baal, the God of fertility, Baal, the God of, of, uh, of the harvest, Baal, the God of whatever you name it. There was different names. And if you read in, in the Bible, there's even, uh, towns that are named different names. He went to Baal pure. He went to this and that, and like with the name Baal in it. Well, that is basically interpretations of different places of Baal. So Baal this or Baal that Balaam, the name Balaam, uh, we don't read it in the Bible. But in archaeology, in the Tell of Succoth, they found the name Balaam, and it says that he was a priest of Baal. But it was a certain type of Baal, but it was still a priest of Baal. So even him, though, could not fight against the God of uh, Israel. But how did he say that to weaken the people? How did he say to weaken Israel? He said what? He said, just marry into him. Eventually, their hearts will turn. So what is this turning that happens in human hearts that is in the Old Testament was, or in the old times, ancient times, was the worship of Baal? All right, so let's give you an example. So say, for instance, we uh, are, are doing Baal um, in the time of, let me just think here. So in the time of Deborah, uh, Baal, the form of Baal that was worshipped up on Mount Carmel, uh, in the time of, of Deborah, and even in the time of Elijah, that was worshipped on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was considered to be the, the habitation of Baal, or Baal. Uh, it was the god of lightning and rain. Now, when Barak and Deborah defeated uh, Sisera, and when, when they defeated him, the Canaanites, they then... Um, it was done. If you read the story, it was done by lightning and rain. Okay. So it was a direct defiance of their God. So these men rode out into the Jezreel Valley and what happened? It rained and it thundered the likes of which probably haven't seen in a long time. And the chariot wheel sunk into the ground and the Israelites just went around and picked them off. But it was done as a testing point. God was showing the world that Baal is not God. Okay, and the same thing happens with Elijah. Elijah, it was the God who answers by fire. Why fire? Because Baal was the God of lightning. So um, in Elijah's time, the, the fire hit the altar. It licked up all the water around and then it showed the, the people there that God is God, not Baal. So... What are the other attributes? Okay, so there was a bail for everything. There was a bail for uh, fertility. And in those times, it was not unusual to give your firstborn uh, to the God so that you'd be have fertility. Now, we look at today and we think, oh, they're just crazy. It's not crazy. You look at what people do today in the name of success. It just has different names. Success in sport and admiration. You know, we... we, we Ask the question in our culture, we ask the question, who is your idol? Who is the person that you followed growing up? Who is the person you look to? So we put this instance in a man, or we can do it in a sport. We can do it in, you name it, arts, entertainment, anything you can imagine. We set up idols. Baal was basically that. So if you wanted 
success in this, you went to Baal this. If you wanted success in, say, for instance, um, in Jesus' time, if you wanted success in your fields, you went up to Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea Philippi, there was the pan god cult. And there was actually, uh, basically what happened is your firstborn, uh, you would take your firstborn up there and, and, and they would sacrifice him. They would slit his throat, throw him in a cave. And there was water that came out of the cave. And if the blood came out, sacrifice was rejected. And if blood didn't come out, it was accepted. Why? And we think, how in the world can you do it? But you look at people today who sacrifice families or children so that they can leave the, live the dreams through the children, their own dreams through the children, or that they will sacrifice raising that child right for the sake of their own success. It's no different. It's the same spirit. That is the spirit that caused God to be angry with Israel and caused him to separate himself and to divorce because he said, you went a whoring after other gods. It wasn't the idea that they went up and, and gave some rice or water to the idols. That wasn't it. It was that their hearts were drawn away to these different ideas, to these different things that turned their heart away from God. And God saw that man's heart is what needs to be dealt with. That is what is missing in the old covenant, uh, of the Mosaic covenant. Now, in the new covenant, the way I understand it, the laws didn't change. God's expectation for us as believers did not change. It actually increased. So whereas the law of time of the old time said that you shall not uh, covet or you shall not lust, Jesus said, no. I say to you, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery in your heart already. See, the new covenant is more stringent. It is more difficult. And it's so difficult that the natural man can absolutely not understand it. So you see, there is a continuation of what God said. There is not a separation. Jesus said, Jesus said that not one jot or tittle. Okay, those those words are actually Hebrew words, and it means the little dots and and scratch mark uh, that's in Hebrew writing. That's actually what a jot and a tittle is. He says not one little dot or hyphen or period will be taken away from the law until it is all fulfilled. Now, what does it mean to be fulfilled? See, we look at fulfilled and say, okay, Jesus kept the law. He was perfect. Now it's fulfilled. Now we don't have to keep it anymore. Oh, good. We can relax. Was that what Jesus was saying? Okay, now everybody relax. You don't have to keep the law anymore. No, the law was not, was not, it was not the intention of the law. The law's intention was to show us, uh, it was, it was an agreement. Okay. It was to show us uh, what righteousness was. And it, it, it showed us that we are unable to keep it because our heart is wicked. That which we want to do, we don't do. It, it basically proved the wickedness of humanity. And because before the law, there was no sin. There was no sin. We understand, okay, Christians, we talk about sin all the time, but sin is transgression of the law. So by what law are you sinning? And what you often find in the New Covenant, it's not a physical law. It is a spiritual law. It is that which was written in our heart. Our conscience is violated. And we say, I have sinned. But what is the sin? Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in the Old Covenant, if I, say for instance, on Shabbat, went outside and I was in the mood to have a barbecue and I decided I'm going to light a fire and I'm going to have a barbecue. That was forbidden. God had said, no, you can't do that. No, you, I want you to relax. I want you to rest. I want you to make this a holy day. You can't, you can't do that. So all of a sudden, you know, they got hung up with, okay, we can't ignite any fires. You can't even start a car. You can't flip a light switch on. You can't turn on the oven. You can't, it goes into all these different avenues Okay, that we don't want to violate this because then some people disagree that, okay, it's not, that's, that's all just speculation. So let's go back to the understanding of what I was talking about. You don't work. You don't work. Okay. You don't do this. You, you don't, you just don't violate that. Don't light fires. Don't do these things. They needed that stuff, you know, to cook and stuff in the old days. Just don't do it. Now, what does that mean in the new covenant? Is it about lighting the fire? It's not about the lighting of the fire. It's not about 
the amount of steps you take. It's not about that. It's about the principle that God has made a day for mankind to rest. And it says that the Sabbath is not, the man is not made for the Sabbath. We are not made to, to keep this day holy as far as that the Sabbath is higher than, no, it's the Sabbath was for the man. It's our privilege to be able to rest for 24 hours per seven days uh, per, per in a seven-day period. We can rest 24 hours in a seven-day period. Now, the traditional Shabbat would have been on a Friday, but you have to understand that is all calendar-based, and the Jewish calendar is not temple calendar, and, and, and the Gregorian calendar is definitely not the Jewish calendar. But for one group to point a finger and say, okay, Saturday, it's not the right day, or Sunday is the right day. Look, we probably don't know exactly where we are at. So we want to be that technical. We probably don't even know which day it is. It's not in that letter. It's not in all that preciseness. Now, God is precise. There's no, no mistaking that. But that is what I believe it means by hearkening to the voice. It's not all the details, it's the voice of what was God trying to do with Israel. What was he trying to say? He was trying to say, be a holy people. Be separate. Don't go after other gods. Don't do these things. It's, it's not what I want. Because at the end, he said, look, I, I'm full of your offerings. They mean nothing to me. It, doesn't, it means nothing. It, I hope you can see that God's heart in this, what he wants for us is to restore fellowship with him. So what did he do? He sent his son. Yeshua. And Yeshua came to a very specific uh, place in the world. He came to uh, the Galilee and he went to the little town of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum uh, basically means the place of miracles, if I understand it correctly. And so Jesus came to the place of miracles or the place of, of uh, salvation to preach salvation. And I'm looking at a picture of it right now. I mean, there's just a small little area, probably about a 10 mile square area, 15 mile square area where he did most of his ministry. And we have to think God himself, you know, confined himself to that small of a space. Now he did go to Jerusalem and he did go to Samaria and there's, we could get into all that, but there was so much encapsulated in the life of Yeshua. He was a kosher Jew. He kept kosher. He kept the law. He didn't violate it. He kept it. It did not. It did not. Uh, it did not bring any condemnation to him. Uh, it didn't limit him. Didn't stop him from ushering in this new covenant. So, why do we as Christians feel so absolutely against the Mosaic Law? We we feel like, oh, we can't touch that with a ten foot pole. Many many times, what happens is we grew up in conservative circles. We grew up in conservative homes and things and, and rules and laws just are like, Ooh, that is just not, that is not right. That is just, Oh, it doesn't do anything. Well, we realize that law because of the nature of men, it doesn't change the man. We can give a person all sorts of rules and everything else. The principle of law. Okay. To the natural man doesn't work. And that's exactly what the old law uh, taught us. Mosaic law taught us that we can't keep it. Now, does God throw away the law? No, he didn't throw away the law. What does he do? He says that he will put a new heart in us so that we keep the law, uh, that the law is in our heart so that we do this law, okay, from our heart. It doesn't mean that he has thrown it away and it doesn't work. He has to change the human. He doesn't have to change the law. Now, when I say that, now, do we get technical? Do we go into details? Do we talk about what types of foods we're allowed to eat and this and that and everything else? I believe it's somewhat clear that especially for an outsider, a Gentile, that that's not necessarily the focus that Jesus had in the new covenant. That's not the focus the disciples had in the new covenant or in, in this new uh, law. Now, the word new, if you want to get really technical, also can mean renewed. So it's not like God God is throwing one away and bringing in a new. He's, he's, it is new, but he's also renewing it. So it's, it's a new covenant, and it's in, at the same time, it's a renewed covenant. So God is renewing his covenant to people, to mankind, because he could have just walked away and said, you know what? We are done. We are finished. I am not going to reach out to mankind anymore. 
But he doesn't do that. He says, you know what? I will put a new covenant. I'll make a new covenant with the house. And then here's, here, we, here we get technical. Okay, so everybody wants to say, okay, we understand the new covenant part. But it says the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I'm not even going to get into that. But that's the, that's the stuff that we miss. Because we do not understand context. We do not understand the basics of the gospel. We understand uh, repentance. We, that's from dead works. That's fine. We understand a baptism. We need to get baptized. That's as far as average Christianity goes in today's world. It doesn't go any further. And all you hear from pulpits and everything else is, is preaching basically about repentance and baptism, repentance and baptism. For most churches, it doesn't go any deeper than baptism. When you are baptized, you have reached the pinnacle of Christianity and you are now, that's it. You know, my friends, that, that, that is, that is a horrible thought. I mean, not that it's not important. It's the foundation, but my goodness, God is wanting to take you deeper. That is the point of beginning. That is just where we begin in the kingdom. See, the whole point was the kingdom. The whole point was, was us to dwell with God in his kingdom. What is a kingdom? Kingdom is a king's domain. So when we are in the kingdom, we are in his domain. And now we operate under his law and under his rules. You cannot come into the king's domain with other laws and other rules and expect to be successful. It doesn't work. The king rules in his kingdom. And Jesus said, if you do not hearken unto my commandments. What are the commandments of Jesus? Everybody says, well, he told everyone to love. Exactly. See, Jesus said that unless you, uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, okay? Scribes in that time and the keepers of law were the Sadducees. So basically we want to say if you, or in, and the Essenes. So if you don't, if your righteousness isn't more than the Essenes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you're not going to go in, the, you're not going to enter the kingdom. There's no way. Because their righteousness fell short in the eyes of God, and they are very passionate people. They are extremely passionate. They are detailed. They do things correctly, and they did it right. They were very, that was hugely important from a righteous standpoint. From the outside, they did it perfectly. Now, it didn't change their heart. Uh, I shouldn't say it didn't at all. I mean, obviously, it, obviously, you know, they thought about it when they sinned, but it didn't keep them from sinning. It didn't keep them from violating it because our evil heart just does that. So, so Jesus said, you have to be more righteous. If you're not more righteous, you won't enter the kingdom. And Jesus came to preach the kingdom. What did John the Baptist come to do? He said, uh, behold, um, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. And he said that the kingdom is at hand. Like the kingdom is here. Now, the kingdom in that day and age meant something perhaps a little bit different than it does today. In that time, the Jewish people were looking for the messianic movement. They were looking for the Messiah. The sages had all written that at the end of that century, uh, fourth century, that the Messiah would come in the fourth century. And the Messiah came in the fourth century. Jesus came in the last few years of the fourth century. So he came when he was supposed to come. Okay, he came, but it was a different kingdom than what they anticipated. They didn't anticipate there being first the suffering side of, of Yeshua. They, they anticipated David. They wanted this, this kingdom to be restored. So you have to understand, David was the only king of Israel who had all the tribes, all 12 tribes under his kingship. Okay, Solomon Solomon uh, was then a king after David. Okay, and Solomon expanded it. But after Solomon, it fell apart. But David united and unified all the tribes of Israel. The first king to do so. Saul didn't even do that. So we have to understand there is connections go back all the time in context. And if we just want to write that book and if we want to separate the Old Testament from the New and want to say this is that God is done with the Old, it's great for reference, that's it. But the New Testament's where it's at. We're missing huge chunks of the story. And God forbid that we do so. We need to know, and I want you to know this, that God, God is not finished okay, with that book. 
Why? Because it's, he is the one that used it. And I think it's in Jude, it says that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof. Well, what was he referring to? Scripture. The New Testament wasn't written yet. He was referring to the Tanakh. He was referring to the Jewish Bible. And he said all of it was profitable. It's all good. He wasn't even referring to the New Testament because it hadn't been written yet. It had been compiled. These men wrote these letters because people were not getting it. They were not understanding the new covenant. They were not understanding the connection and how God was bringing them, uh, fulfilling the old and the new and how that all worked. Like people were getting mixed up. And if you study that history, I mean, people went into left and right field all over the place. It was literally in the first 150 years, you had Gnostics, you had mystics out there. I mean, they were preaching weird, weird doctrines. So fast did it go that direction. So we have to understand there's huge pressure uh, by the enemy to distort this new covenant, to make it look wrong. Now, I know that there's different understandings. There's some people even think the new covenant isn't fulfilled yet as far as in its completion. We maybe have a portion, but it's not, it might be valid to a degree, I guess. I don't know. But here's the thing that we have to understand. And I think it's the thread that ties it all together. See, how is God going to change your heart? How is he going to, ultimately, how is he going to do this? See, see Jesus said, that the most important commandment, there's two commandments. And again, if we look at context, we'll learn that rabbis had been trying to narrow down all these commandments, what, 614 laws that Moses gave, to narrow them down. And I believe uh, Hillel, which was the one preceding, would have been a preceding generation, had narrowed it down to three or four attributes. Okay, if you do these three or four, you fulfill the law. Well, Jesus brings it down to two. And he says that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's the most important thing you can do. Secondly, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you do those two things, you have fulfilled all the law and the commandments. Well, that doesn't seem that difficult, does it? But that is the very thing the human heart could not do. See, why does it say in Revelation, I believe, it says that in the end, the love of many shall wax cold. The love that we have, to, we're going to be in the same shoes. We're going to, we're going to be facing the same pressure. We're going to be uh, walking away and our hearts are going to be getting cold. We have to understand love, it's the, secret, it's the key. The, new, the key of the new covenant is the love. Now, what is this love? It's a love God puts within us. So how is this done? Well, what did Jesus preach? Okay, so he says that if you love the Lord your God and if you love your neighbor yourself, you fulfilled all the law and the commandments. Everything, boom, is fulfilled in those two things. Why? Obviously, it's simple. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to go out and do some crazy perverted thing against them, whether it be steal from them or you name it. Okay. You're not going to kill them. You're not, it comes because of the love you have for your brother and sister. You're not going to violate them. You're not going to do anything like that. That fulfills it. That's why it's not in the letter. It was in the heart. Now, a lot of people today now sit on their high hobby horse and they, they want to say, oh yes, that's right. God has done away with this old Testament and you know, the freedom of the new and what Jesus has done. Look, it's wonderful. It is but you better have some fruits for that. You better have some works in your heart that backs up what you're saying because that is where it's based off of. Because you can say you love your neighbor, but if you go out and you do these things, you are in violation just as much as they were in violation. Okay, if you go out and you sin, you're in violation. And you need a sacrifice and that sacrifice is Jesus. And so we can come back into relationship, but it, it's the same system. It's not any different other than he wants to work on our hearts. He wants to change our hearts. That is the reality. So how does he change our hearts? How does God change our hearts? And in there lies the whole issue, I believe, with the people understanding the new and old covenants. And I think that is the most strategically important thing that can happen in the life of a believer is this transition from the old to the new. Man's heart's wicked. 
Okay. God made a way now for man's hearts to be uh, transferred and to change. He can give you a heart of flesh, not a, from this stony heart. You can make, make it a heart of flesh. That's what this gospel is all about. That's what salvation is all about. That's why Jesus came. He came so that we can have our hearts changed. I can tell you that there's always two types of people in the church world. There's people who are pre-Pentecost and post-Pentecost. Okay, there's people that have have experienced uh, the new birth, but and they see maybe how the kingdom works, or they can see into it, but they are not part of it. Then there's people that post-Pentecost, and they operate off off a different set of rules. But what is the what is the dramatic shift that happens when the Holy Spirit comes? He gives you power. See, I think the way I understand the Bible, that the whole secret to the new covenant, the whole secret to entering into this new kingdom, uh, if not new kingdom, into, into the kingdom as God intended it, is through the changing of our hearts. That's the single most important thing. And that is the issue. Our hearts do not change. There's many people that proclaim their hearts are different and change, that, but they still go on uh, sinning and doing the things that they do before. And so it tells you the heart's not changed. So they are they're lying against the truth. And I believe that this is where the new covenant comes in. So this transformation process, I think this is where a lot of people do not understand this process. They don't understand it. And I'll be honest, this is this is the natural mind cannot receive it. It doesn't make sense to it. You cannot comprehend this. And I've I've talked to messianics who have issues with understanding the transformation process of a heart of how God changes our heart and how does he do it? All right. So the way I understand it is Jesus preached repentance. He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of this, of your sins. So you can receive the Holy spirit, the Holy ghost. Now, why was it important? Jesus said, it is needs be that I go and I will send you a comforter. You need the comforter, basically, as he was saying. You need the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to lead you. More, It's more important than me. Why did he say that? Because their hearts needed to change. See, it wasn't in keeping the law that, uh, how would I say this? It wasn't in keeping the commandment with our old nature does not make us righteous. Because we are still evil within. So he had to change that. And that's what Jesus does. He changes our hearts. He takes and changes our nature. He makes us different people. If you've not experienced that transforming power, then you have not experienced what the new covenant is all about. Now we fulfill all the laws, all the promises, everything, all the commandments, I should say that were done in the Old Testament, when we, uh, when we experience the cha- heart changing, if you will, of the, of the new covenant, what Jesus preached, our hearts change. So all of a sudden, by nature, we start fulfilling the law. And it's natural. We do it by nature. Now, is it in the letter? Is it in the perfection of, okay, so I'm not going to eat this or that? Look, I tell you what, I, I just... Okay, say for instance, one of the biggest things that you can do uh, kosher is pigs. Pigs or, or shellfish. You know, when I look at that stuff, I kind of naturally almost want to detest it. I think about it. Now, do I eat it? Yes, I do. Uh, I don't make a habit of it. Uh, I'll eat it, but I think about it. It's almost like something within me wants to say gross. Now, to the Messianics, they're going to look at me and think, are you ridiculous? Stop eating it. I don't believe that uh, I'm limited to certain foods now just because of that. I believe I believe you know I have to be sensitive to what the Lord says. If He does ask me to stop eating it, I would do it. But and they would say He has. Look, listen, do the Torah, you know. But I have re- that's a whole other discussion. But but here's here's the thing we have to understand that it's our hearts, and so we look at what Jesus has done. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. It's absolutely amazing. And he has uh, given us this option. So look, we repent. What is repentance? That means the end of, that means we lay, we, we confess that we're sinners. We, we are 
corrupt beings. We are horrible. We are disgusting before God, and we need salvation. We confess we need salvation. We need help. We're, we're not, we are not righteous before God. We have this sense of depravity, and, uh, and that's, it's, that is repentance, and we turn from our evil ways. Now, turning in itself is not enough, because as you know and I know, in our natural self, in our own ability, in our own strength, we will fall again. We will sin again. We will fail. That is the way our hearts are made. But there is more to it. So the next step is baptism. So what is this baptism? Baptism is very simple. It is a sign of cutting off of the old ways and putting on the new. It's washing. Okay. In the Old Testament, when it said baptism, it meant cleansing. So you take a shower. Why do you take a shower? Because you stink. Why do you take a bath? Because you're disgusting. All right. So the idea of baptism is just that. It's cleansing. It is the putting off of your old stinking self and the putting on of the new, accepting what God has done. It's the sign of that. And just as God brought them to the Red Sea and took them down under, up and out, and he washed them of what was behind, so he does it with us. So it's a sign of that. Now, it was very common in the Jewish world. They mikvah it all the time. But in our, in our covenant, in our, it's, it's once. It's just a sign. It shows heaven, our intention. Now, the other part of repentance, and this is the part that's seldom talked of and spoken of in, in today's church world, but it's the, it's the part that hinders, I would say, most people, is a complete and final surrender. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, what is a complete and final surrender? I mean, I know it's not necessarily a scriptural term. It, it is there. It does say that uh, in different words, it's taking up the cross, it's laying down our lives as a spiritual sacrifice, only acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Uh, present your body as a living sacrifice. That element right there is what's missing in most of today's Christian world. See, we cannot expect to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We cannot expect the rest of it to work unless our evil nature is dead. And that's what Paul was talking about in Romans. Our natural evil nature, our, our evil inclination needs to die. It needs to die. That old heart that just wants to long after evil needs to die. And that is not something God does. That is something we do. We die. Now I can tell you that is where the whole battle takes place. That is why carnal people cannot see spiritually. And that is why spiritual people cannot have fellowship with carnal. It almost doesn't work. They fight against each other. It's all over the issue of death. See, my heart will fight God's heart. Did you know that? The natural mind cannot receive the things of God. Neither, not only that, it's enmity. The carnal mind is enmity. It, it is, it's the enemy of God. It fights it. So I have to end. Me as a human, my ideas, my opinions, my way of seeing things, my way of doing things has to die. That's called the cross. It's called a lot of different things. Uh, it's understanding that principle that, that sets us free. Now, you can, you can try to fight that. And, and that is, I, I tell you, that is probably 95%. No, it's 100% of people's problem. Okay, when I have an issue, you mark it in the book, it's because there's something still alive in me that needs to die. Give an example. Many years ago at work, uh, I was the type of guy that would pull a lot of jokes off and stuff on people. And, and I always, I love having fun doing things like that. But I finally came to a point where it was enough that they, they were like, okay, so you are going to, you're, uh, they, many of the guys at work decided they're going to, take me and they're going to strap me down with like truck straps to a, a pallet full of plywood. And they're just, you know, just in fun. And, you know, I fought so hard. It took five big, really built men to strap me down. And you know what? It really uh, humiliated me. Now, why was, why was I humiliated? There are some people in today's world, people would say, oh, that's 
it's crazy. It's assault. I mean, what? No, it wasn't. It was my flesh resisted. And you know what? Had I just got given up and had I just let them do it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have given them any satisfaction. They would have walked away and said, well, that wasn't worth it. But you know what? I fought and that fighting, that striving was my own way. I wanted to resist what was being done. I said, this isn't right. We cannot have it. And that is what needs to die. Now that hurts. That costs everything. That is death blow. That is the end of who you are. That is the end of what you know. That is, and that costs you everything. But that's what Jesus taught. He said, look, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. As a seed, God plants something. You have to die. As a seed, if you want to flourish, you have to die. It becomes not my will, but thine be done. What does God want from your life? You are willing to do it because it is his will. Not my will, his will. So a lot of people told me we just had... uh, some tw- uh, set of twins, boy and a girl, beautiful. It's absolutely wonderful. But many people came and told me that, you know, you are going to, oh, you're going to learn now. Oh, that's going to be a huge adjustment, a big life change. And I mean, it's going to be different. Yeah, you realize how selfish you are when, when you have children and things like that. And yeah, I mean, there is an adjustment. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, twins, there's a much bigger adjustment. But I found a really interesting thing. After I had the children, I realized what it is. See, God said that he, through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit in Joel, it says that the Holy Spirit will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So that's just an interesting observation. Why do the Holy Spirit does that? But I noticed that I think a lot of people are so much full. I'm not trying, I'm not saying to myself, but I've been a, I've been a servant I would just say it. I've been a kingdom servant for many years. I've done, I've sacrificed a lot for the sake of the kingdom. I've given up job opportunities because I felt the Lord show me to do this. I've given up uh, houses. I've given up opportunities to buy land. I've, I mean, different things that I have given up because I felt the Lord was leading me in a different direction. And I laid down what I thought, what I think, and what I want many years ago. Um, God has given me a beautiful gift and the children and the wife that I have. But I realize that in the kingdom, I still, they are not number one. The king is number one. And so I must do kingdom work first. Kingdom first, and then then the rest will come. In that, there's protection. That's It's a whole different subject. But I basically realize a lot of people are not surrendered to the work of the kingdom. They're not surrendered to the king. They still, their self is still very much alive and their will is still very much alive and they are not sold out to doing what God wants them to do. And that is where the problem lies. When our heart does what it wants to do, it is enmity with God. It fights naturally. It fights what God wants. So we have to have that death blow. We have to have the final death blow to our old nature, our self, okay? That's not doing what Baal got, the pale prophets were doing, was stabbing themselves with knives and cutting themselves and trying to somehow evoke God's pleasure. That's not it. It's not a self-inflicted uh, death, but it's a shutting down of who I am. It's when what I want does not match up with God, I give up. I surrender. Surrender is the biggest word. You know, it's difficult. It's not fun to surrender. It's not fun to give up. It's not fun to realize that everything that I have done is for been for myself and it doesn't last. See, the, the, this is the whole key. And what happens when we surrender? Then the life of the Spirit can live. Now, what is what is this? And I believe this is then the whole key is then the baptize, baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is what that experience separates us and changes our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, the Messianics believe that's a divine influence, and I believe they're correct, but I also believe the Holy Spirit is uh, a person of the Godhead. Now, some people say, oh, you're Trinitarian. Well, I don't even really know what that means. I'm, I don't see that, that sense. I just 
what I understand is that the Holy Spirit was on earth and different parts of the Bible, it says he, now some people say it's translation errors, but it's obvious the Holy Spirit is its own manifestation, its own uh, being, if you will. Okay. It, it does what it, it does what it does. Okay. And I, I don't, it's probably the right word. I don't know. It's not a he or she in that sense. I don't believe, but Jesus, okay was also a manifestation of God. The Holy Spirit was a manifestation of God, and the Father is a manifestation of God. Now, through the years, we've had different manifestations. If you'll read in the early parts of the Bible, you have Elohim, and then it goes to uh, Yahweh, and it goes to Yahovah. There's a lot of different manifestations that we see that God is revealing himself. I am this. I am this. I am this. That's why he's the I am. And today, we have the package uh the, the salvation package, if you want to call it that, I think the salvation package that what the Bible refers to it is that salvation package is grace. Grace is ultimately what the new covenant ushers in. Now, it, grace is not the freedom for you to do whatever you want. And it's not mercy. It's not this overwhelming, overwhelming acceptance of God that you just do whatever you want. That's absolutely false. But Grace is like the provision that God has made for us. It is his divine enablement and it's his unmerited favor. Look, there's nothing we can do to merit God's favor. God did it because it, it says it behooved him to come and to give us an opportunity for salvation. So it's not something we earn. We don't earn uh, God's provision. He gives it to us. Okay. But it is his provision for salvation. Now, what is this provision? I believe it is once our self dies, it is, it is the Holy Spirit. I believe this provision is the Holy Spirit. That is what gives us the power to walk. That is what gives us the ability uh, to overcome my evil, wicked heart. It is what gives us the heart of, a heart of flesh. It is what turns our hearts as fathers to the children. All these things, when you want to leave the Old Testament, you can see it. What was prophesied? The secret, I believe that people are missing out is Pentecost. You have either pre-Pentecost or your post-Pentecost. If you live pre-Pentecost, you're going to be looking at outward deeds and not the changing of your heart. When you live after Pentecost, you're going to be looking at, uh, you're going to be looking at your heart and how your intention was wrong. See in the new covenant, the Holy spirit is a judger of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that is a deeper and greater righteousness than what was of the scribes and Pharisees. I hope, you, I hope you're seeing, and it's my goal on this website and in this podcast to show you the connections between the old and the new. And when I say old, it's not old. There's nothing old about God. There's nothing old about his word. Just titling it old is wrong. It's a, the implication is incorrect. We need to understand that it is his can we say older covenants? And then we are experiencing his new covenant. But that it's the new covenant is all combined in and an extension of the olds, the old covenants. See, in the new covenant, Jesus is also going to be king of kings. So the covenant that David had is still very much alive and well. In the new covenant, it's the circumcision of the heart not of the flesh. And so in that wraps up the covenant of Abraham. So that means all of us are spiritual Israel. We're all spiritual Jews. It says the circumcision, a Jew is not one who is circumcised in the flesh anymore. It's now circumcision of the heart. And what does that mean? It's again coming back to the death blow of the self. Circumcision was a mark in that which produces. And God wanted us to have a mark in our hearts of what we produce as people he wants us to realize that it is his way. It's him, not us, not our strength, not anything. It's in him. That is all I'm going to do today. I can't believe it went an hour. I'm sorry. I've just been full of this whole conversation the last few weeks. I've been thinking about it. I've been, I've been uh, going through it, and I've been conversations I've had with people and things that I've that I've heard. I have uh, just so much seen the need for people to understand this. I just see people are not getting it. They are being stuck in mindsets. You know, how would I say this? People are babes. People are infants. People people are, are not leaving and walking into deeper things of God. No secret is they're not, they're not selling out. 
They're not giving up their own way. And we need to do that as people. And I'm not looking out and saying, you guys are all bad and I'm perfect. No, it's, it's me too. It's my, when I say this, it's totally me. This is how I look at myself. I say to myself that if I don't die to my own nature, I sin. It's the way it is. When I, when I go my own way, I sin. And I, I can't do that. I have to die to that old way so that I can put on the righteousness that Jesus given me. That, that is the secret. That is the whole key to this new covenant. Well, that is all I have for today. I hope it was not boring. Uh, I tried to give you some perspective, just what has been going through my mind and how I've been thinking about it. And I'm going to give you a little glimpse. For some people, you might be tired and might think, well, this just makes no sense and why. But I, I believe that God has called me uh, specifically. What I've sensed in my heart is to make these connections again. You know, we have lost the connection with our past. We have lost the connection with our land. We have lost the connection with our heritage. And I'm going to talk about the backgrounds we grew up in. There's a deeper heritage, I believe, that is fundamental. And I maybe I'll get into it in the coming years. But is come that is fundamental and it's why it's it's a secret thread that god has hidden from uh mankind that will be brought forth and i think it's going to be earth shattering and it's going to be in the last days that we will begin to see these things see daniel says that in the end knowledge will increase and i don't just believe this is random knowledge i don't know today's information world that our knowledge is that much greater because, yeah, we, we know things, but knowledge is something that is based, that you understand something that's true. And truth is only, is God. Man-made truth is always temporary. Science is only what we observe, and science changes all the time. So that which science establishes is not necessarily always true. Because it can change. They can find out later that they were wrong. And then it changes. God does not change. He is correct. He is truth. And so we have to understand that ultimately, ultimate truth is God. So, and that is why uh, I've labeled my website Bible Truth Project, because I'm trying to find the truth uh, in all of this. I'm trying to find the God in all of this. There's so many people trying to prove that God exists through earthly ways of doing things, and I'm the opposite. I want to go and, and take you to Israel as far as with videos and things like that to show you the connections, to show you the God that is in the earth and how it's connected. And I, and I hope that didn't come across incorrectly, but I'm trying to show you the glory of God that is in earth already that we don't see, that's woven into the fabric of it. Not trying to prove to you via man-made systems that God exists. So hope you were blessed. Uh, today with what I said, I, I hope, I hope, 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 and pray that you will understand uh, what I'm after. I am not trying to glorify my knowledge or wisdom. It's not any of that. I'm giving you out of my heart what I have experienced and walked in and where the Lord has been leading me. So uh, thank you. And until next time, 